hard or just in a prominent place where you can make this declaration of faith. This is my Bible. God's written living word to me. It reveals to me who God says I am and tells me what God says I have. Because it's how he thinks, I choose to believe and act on what I'll read. And therefore I am transformed. Amen. Really good to have each of you here with us this morning. Thank you for joining us. I know that some of you weren't in the room when we announced that our worship team is on an excursion up in the mountains that uh, was planned for the past couple of months and this was the weekend. So they and a number of young adults are uh, having an awesome time um, in the mountains with activities that they're doing as well as spending time in the Word together. So we're excited for them and what they're going to bring back. The chairs are set up differently this morning because I'm going to uh, ask you, at least as I know it right now, towards the close of service, to participate. During the message this morning, I'd like you to be thinking about questions that might arise. There's been a number of questions during this series. You might have questions today. Remember them. Maybe write them down. Whatever you need to do, type them into your device. Because at the end, we're going to entertain those questions, okay? We are ending our series on the subject of prayer. Actually, it's the Lord's Prayer taken from Matthew's Gospel. Chapter 6. This is part 7 of that series, and I've entitled it, Deliver Us from Evil. We have two teachings today. One, the nature of temptation. And number two, what is the evil that Jesus speaks about in this final verse? Are we to pray for deliverance from Satan? You know, the disciples requested of the Lord, teach us, to pray in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 1. That's the companion passage to Matthew, chapter 6. They did not ask the Lord to teach them how to pray. They asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. There's a difference. They weren't asking for steps, but for principles and values. They were saying, Jesus, we've been observing your relationship with God who you call Father, and we want that too. We want to enjoy the kind of relational conversation that we hear you having with Father. Teach us to pray. Prayer in the Bible doesn't look like hands folded, head bowed, and the reciting of certain things. Prayer looks like my relationship every day with Jesus. Prayer looks like when I'm driving down the highway, keeping my car in the right lane, right? Or in the, in the appropriate lane. I'm focused there. But prayer looks like while I'm driving, 
I'm talking to Father. Prayer looks like while I'm out walking the dog, I'm declaring thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. And I start praying over my wife. I start praying over the family. I start praying over you. Prayer looks like conversation with the Father which Jesus modeled. And so really this is not a liturgy that he presents us, but a model, a template of prayer values. Since this prayer template was given by Jesus, it's an expression of God's heart. If you read and recite it as a prayer before the cross, a prayer of legal language and behavioral performance, you will view God like the Pharisees who believed right standing with God was obtained by obeying rules, commands, and law code in the scripture. You will reap legalistic fruit which sees God as a judgmental, wrathful God who requires obedience before blessing. On the other hand, if you read and recite the prayer as a template of New Testament principles which occur after the cross, then you will perceive the Father as a loving God whose highest will for us on earth is to personally know Him and experience the fullness of heaven's blessings now here on earth. You will view God like Jesus. Now, here's what I mean by that. God is not like a Pharisee. God is like Jesus. God was Jesus. Jesus is God. And when you pray in the New Testament way using this model and these principles of prayer that Jesus gave us, you will pray like Jesus. You will pray like God's heart. You will view God like Jesus does, whose favor has nothing to do with your performance, your performance, or your behavior, or your individual effort, rather it is the result of your identity in Christ, based entirely on what Jesus did for me and you. Can you say amen this morning? Isn't that good? So I want to begin with a couple of questions just to get things going, and I hope again that you are writing down things that go on in your mind, questions that you've had during this series. Does God lead us into temptation? Must we ask him in prayer not to? Does Jesus not know that James was going to contradict him later by writing, don't say that you are being tempted by God? Now, if you're wondering, let's pause, Jeff, right there. We're talking about the final line in the Lord's Prayer, which all of you know, right? Help me with it. Let's go through the prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from either deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. Depends on how you were raised, your liturgy, and what translation of the Bible that you read that from. Isn't it interesting that Jesus taught us to pray, God, don't lead me into temptation. Jesus taught us to pray, 
don't lead me into temptation and deliver me from evil or from the evil one. So our first two questions then, does God lead us into temptation? Do, do we need to pray that he wouldn't do that? Did Jesus not know that James later was going to write in his epistle something that completely contradicted this prayer, this line in this prayer? Don't say you are being tempted by God. That's James 1.13. Why would God lead us into temptation? Does he use temptation to teach us? Does he use temptation to mature us? How many of you know these are valid questions, questions you've had, questions I've asked, questions that as a pastor I'm asked by people who are confused when they read one part of the Bible and read the next and they see these kind of issues in the Bible. So important for us to teach on this. Why does Jesus seemingly teach us to ask God to back off? Back off, Lord. <laughs> Don't lead me into temptation today. I've been, I have been so confused by that line in that prayer. God, <laughs> I'm struggling enough. Back off. Don't lead me any further into things that you know are trouble spots for me. And finally, last question. Are we to pray that God would deal with the devil for us? Well, we quoted our text. You helped me with it. A subtext, I'll give you two, to the Lord's Prayer is James chapter 1 and verse 13. If you're taking notes, do write it down. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And lead us not into temptation. The inference, he leads you into temptation sometimes. How am I doing? Am I? These aren't questions you've asked? Okay, well, so I'll just preach this for me and I'll feel better afterwards. And, you, you know, <laughs> and here's a second one, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Therefore, since these his children share in flesh and blood, the physical nature of mankind... He himself, in a similar manner, also shared in the same physical nature, but without sin, so that through experiencing death, he might make powerless, ineffective, impotent, him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. The writer of Hebrews declares that Satan has been rendered impotent, ineffective, powerless. He used to have the power of death, but he doesn't have it anymore. And yet Jesus said, pray, pray this, Lord, deliver us from the evil one. I would submit to you that the only way that we can properly understand these apparent contradictions is to go back into the culture, into the times in which these holy writings were first given and written down, 
And secondly, to look at the language that these were originally written in because you know they were not spoken in English. Correct? These were spoken by men and women who spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. Did you know that Jesus spoke Aramaic? He learned Hebrew as a boy and he was well versed in it. But he spoke the common language of the day which was not Greek. Don't think that. You've been taught that your New Testament was originally translated into Greek. It was. It was translated into Greek. But the language they spoke in the day when these verses, when these conversations, when these principles, when these teachings were given by our Lord was in either Aramaic or Hebrew depending on the setting. And normally if it took place in the synagogue they regularly recited scripture and read from traditional Hebrew, not even Aramaic. I'd like to show you verse 13 in the Hebrew. Could we, Jeff, please? Now, you know that Hebrew goes from right to left, not left to right. Now, you have English reading left to right there, and so we'll just read this. Could we out loud together? Ready? Read. And lead us not into temptation. There's the word temptation. But deliver us from evil. So the Hebrew started over here and it read this way. Next slide, Jeff. There is the word for temptation. It's the Hebrew word masa. Literally in the Hebrew, this verse reads this way. Lord, keep us from falling into the hands of Masa. Masa comes from a root Hebrew word that means to melt, to dissolve, or to consume, like as by fire when fire tests something and purifies it. As a noun, the word is often translated test, trial, or temptation. And it's directly used to name the place where the children of Israel rebelled against God in the wilderness. Now, I grew up thinking that all temptation was a moral issue, a list of sins that I needed to be sure I didn't do. And so here I am, first of all, as a good Christian, trying to live the life, trying to obey the Lord, trying to live by moral do's and don'ts, Come on, anybody with me? And then I come to the prayer that my church recited and we were all taught as Christians to recite. It was holy, it was precious. And the last line of it says, God, don't lead me into temptation today. And it's kind of like, why do I need him to lead me somewhere where I'm already fighting and struggling? God, please, just today would you not do it? Sort of back off. It was so confusing. And then we come to find out that when Jesus spoke this, when these words were penned, it has nothing to do with a moral list. It has everything to do with our heart melting or dissolving or being consumed in the heat of fire, circumstances that would try to lead us away from God's presence. That's what happened in the Old Testament. That's where this word is actually and originally taken from. 
Here's an example. Exodus chapter 17 and verse 7. Moses named the place Massa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or not? Do you remember that? Those of you that are familiar with your Bible, the children of Israel were led out of Egypt, and after they got out of Egypt and started their wilderness journey, they came up against a lot of different temptations. It's the word trial, masa, tests that would consume, fire that tried to separate them from God. And what happened? Indeed, they began to cry out, Lord, where are you? You led us out of Egypt with a promise. Where are you? The enemy of your heart knows that if on a daily basis he can consume you with tests, fiery trials that consume your heart, that he can pull your attention away from the majesty of the love of Jesus Christ. It's really pretty simple. Psalm 95 and verse 8, Do not harden your hearts, and become spiritually dull as at Meribah, the place of strife, and as at Massa, the place of testing in the wilderness. The Hebrew meaning of lead us not into temptation essentially means this, Lord, redirect my heart today. Redirect my heart's attitude in the face of difficult trying moments. Ah, now I can pray that. Thank you, Lord. You know, in fact, Jesus, that makes sense with everything I know about your nature, and it makes sense with everything else I'm going to read in the New Testament about how you've dealt with the devil. Thank you. It was there in the language. But see... We're taught just to read our Bible at face value and take it at face value and not study it, not do due diligence to go into the language, read various translations, read after people who know Hebrew and Greek. And frankly, we have people who have taken our English translations today and set themselves up as little kings controlling and ordering your life. With dogma, this is the command of the Lord. You must obey it this way. See, that's the same thing the Pharisees did. This is the command of the Lord. We know scripture. You must obey it this way. We come to the New Testament. We find Jesus sets all of us completely free. He makes all of you kings and priests. He's given all of you the Holy Spirit. And he's given all of you the freedom to study and to find out for yourself in the voice of the Holy Spirit what it is the Scripture teaches. I know this. It will never lead you into bondage. The Scripture when properly understood and exegeted, will always lead you into greater liberty and a greater love for Jesus and a greater desire to share Jesus with friends. Those will always be the fruit of freedom, true freedom in the Scripture. To fall into the hands of Massa meant 
yielding to despair and to the psychological dissolution that results in bitterness and scorn and mockery. The origin of that word despair, by definition, if, 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 if you remember, keep us from the hands of Masa, it had that despair in it, that we become disparate. We, we, not disparate, but we, we're overwhelmed with being discouraged and we're despaired. And, and, and Satan then begins to draw us away from the Lord's attention. We do it. We do it by the way we're thinking. Satan doesn't even have to be there. We do it. Yielding to despair and to the psychological dissolution that results in bitterness, scorn, and mockery. I want you to hold on to that definition of despair and masa. So two things now. The Hebrew meaning of lead us not into temptation is redirect our heart's attitude in the face of difficult and trying moments. Secondly, please remember that the definition of despair for masa is yielding to psychological dissolution, distance from God, separation from God that results in bitterness, scorn, and mockery. All right. Classical Hebrew was the language of the synagogue for readings and for prayers. And though Jesus spoke in Aramaic, many believed that his teachings were in Hebrew. Recent discoveries from the Dead Sea Scrolls make this very important. Now, I, I, I know how sometimes this very clinical or educational or institutional or whatever we might call what I'm doing right now, uh, you know, you kind of go to kind of go to sleep. This is really important. I'm going to ask you to really zero in. This is a word study by Cham Bentora. Cham Bentora. He says, and I quote, one such very recent discovery. Listen to me, because uh, has everybody heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? You know this was a, a group of scrolls that were found in some caves over in Jerusalem and uh, over in Israel and uh, down close to the Dead Sea, which is why they're called the Dead Sea Scrolls. These scrolls are precious. These scrolls contain most of the entire Bible except for small portions of Isaiah, they are exactly what we hold in our hands today given the translation into Greek and Hebrew and whatever mistakes that our transcribers have made and so forth. But we actually have in the Dead Sea Scrolls original Hebrew, original Aramaic of what was spoken at the time that Jesus walked the planet. It was a precious finding. They found them a couple of decades ago. Uh, I'm sorry, 1948. And they have continued to just dig into them and research them and so forth. It's the most precious, true manuscript, verifiable manuscript of our Bible that we have today. Now, with that, one such very recent discovery from the Psalms in the Dead Sea Scrolls sheds light on this very passage of the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. An identical phrase was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls written in Aramaic, which matches that of the Aramaic Bible. Now the difficulty lies in translating the Aramaic word, mostly used by Jesus for temptation, which is nesona, into the Greek word, Perismon. 
using the Dead Sea Scrolls, using the Dead Sea Scrolls rendering of this word as a guide, the proper rendering of the phrase, lead us not into temptation, would be this. Do not allow us to enter wrongful thinking or testing. Everything I know about my New Testament, everything I've learned about how Jesus dealt with the devil and put him in a place where he's powerless, he's ineffective, he cannot rule my life, he cannot take charge of me, I have victory over him. Everything I knew now works with even this line of the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil because I realize that in the original languages there's a little bit of adjustment we need here. Once again, we can from the Dead Sea Scrolls render this statement this way. Do not allow us to enter wrongful thinking or testing. Now, let's deal with the second part of the statement. Deliver us from evil. The word in Hebrew is yetzer hara. Now, remember the word despair that I mentioned to you earlier? Okay, we're going to put a slide up. Remember that that word despair had to do with psychological dissolution that results in bitterness, scorn, and mockery. Deliver us from evil, according to Jewish tradition, is yatsa hara. And that's defined as this. The inner impulse to gravitate towards selfish gratification or idolatry. This concept in the New Testament, Yetzah Hara, is called the carnal mind, the old nature, the natural man. How many of you now relate to Paul's teaching in the book of Romans? That is Paul's discourse in Romans 6, 7, and 8. You and I, though we are born again, though we have this incredible new birth and life with Jesus Christ, do still deal with the after effects of having been born into sin. And it's called the old man, the carnal man. How many of you have ever had to deal with the natural man, the carnal man, the, <laughs> the Yetzirah? <laughs> I'm born again. Lord, I love you. This is the day. This is the day. We go to church. This is the day that the Lord hath made. And we get in our car. We go home. Monday we go to work. And all of a sudden, I hate today. I, I'd rather be anywhere but here. And the person that flipped you off on the highway while you were driving to work and after you get to work you're working for this person that's a monster and you know and all of a sudden up rises the old man up rises from within you the carnal man where's that come from where is that are you two people do you have a saved spirit and an unsaved spirit no you are born again, you, are his, you have his DNA, you are his image, you are an image bearer of the Lord. And yet we deal with this concept of yatsahara, the carnal mind. Keep in mind, 
our definition here. We read just a moment ago. Deliver us from Yatsahara. Don't allow us, Lord, to enter into wrongful... Keep us from falling into the hands of Masa. Don't allow us, Lord, to enter into wrongful thinking. But deliver us from Yatsahara. Deliver us from that tendency that I have, Lord, to forget who I am in Jesus. To allow the circumstances of my day to overwhelm me. And I start saying things I regret. I start believing things that aren't biblical. And just like Eve and Adam in the garden in Genesis, Satan comes and he presents a lie. What does he say? If you eat this, you will be like God. Has God said? Why don't you question what God has said? Has God said if you eat of this, you won't die? No, that's not true because God knows that if you eat of this, you will become like him, knowing good from evil. What was he saying? You need something else. You need more. You need extra. You need something you don't have right now. You're not complete. Here, take this, and you'll become like God, knowing good and evil. You're not everything you need to be, Adam, Eve. That was the great lie of Genesis from the evil one and the great sin that they committed, believing that they were not complete in God. And what immediately happened? They were separated. They felt in themselves. They knew immediately they were, what's the Bible said, naked, and they hid themselves. How many of you, even though you go to church today, you're here this morning, but you get in your car tomorrow, and somehow by the time you get to work and get to lunch break, you feel naked. It's like you've lost everything you were praising God about, and now you realize, oh my goodness, I am having a bad day. I am really warring with what? Is God dangling you out like a carrot over the pit of hell saying don't go there you know if you think that you know if you believe that you know if you do that you're gonna lose your sight is that God out there or is it the Yetzah hurrah our thinking here's a big one Here's, here's a giant one. James chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each of us is tempted when by his own desire, our own evil desire, we are dragged away and enticed. Amen. Devil didn't have anything to do with it. He's been defeated. He's been incapacitated. My thoughts are taking me there. Cameraman, my thoughts are taking me there. My Yetzirah. 
Here's one from Paul. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Well, woo, yeah, that's what I used to say. And then I dug down in there a little bit and I thought, well, Lord, you're still allowing it. Lord, you're still, I mean, can't you just stop it? Can't you stop it? <laughs> Am I the only guy that thinks this way? Am I the only Christian that has? <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. We've all been here wrestling, wrestling with the Masa and the Yatsahara. And it's no hurrah either. <laughs> when you are in the midst of Masa, it is no hurrah. And your mind is swirling and your circumstances are battling. And all for one purpose, Satan knows this, to make you feel separate from God and to get you thinking he doesn't love you. He's turned his chair around now. He's turned his face from you. After all, he is a very legal kind of God. He's turned his face from you and you have displeased him. And until you get it right, until you stop that and you make amends and you repent and you get proper forgiveness, you cannot be in the face and presence of God again. And all of it is a lie, a big fat lie. God never leaves you. You turn your chair around through some sort of sin that you do and you're no longer facing him because this is your daily walk you turn around and do something stupid God doesn't turn his face from you like this till you get it straight too bad God gets up and runs around and gets in front of you Amen. says I haven't left you I'm still here I'm waiting to have with you today that time of strengthening you in your mind, your emotions, that pit of fire where you would be consumed thinking I've left you. So Jesus taught his disciples by a principle. Pray this. Father, Redirect my heart's attitude in the face of difficult and trying times. And Lord, don't let me gravitate to that place of selfish gratification. Deliver me from my own mindsets that rob me of my peace, of knowing how much you love me. Here's, listen now. Here is the Aramaic. Remember, they spoke in Aramaic. Here's the Aramaic of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 that I just read. Paul's speaking. No testing reaches you but of the children of men. So we all go through common things. This is all common, guys. Just because you became a believer doesn't mean you'll be without test. Listen. God is faithful that nothing would disconnect you that would test you of something more than you are able. God 
is faithful. He will not allow you to be disconnected. Mm. All right. A few scriptures about protection from the devil. Did Jesus teach us to pray and ask God to deal with the devil for us? Actually, no, he didn't. I think from the languages we can see now that that's not what he meant. And we know it's not what he meant because as we examine it in the original languages, it agrees perfectly with what the Apostle Paul taught in the letters and epistles. Let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Chapter 2 and verse 14 of Hebrews. Therefore, since these, his children, share in flesh and blood the physical nature of mankind, he himself, in a similar manner, also shared in the same physical nature, but without sin, so that through experiencing death, he might make powerless, ineffective, impotent him who had the power of death. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, those supernatural forces of evil operating against us, he made a public example of them, exhibiting them as captives in his triumphal procession having triumphed over them through the cross. Think of that. Every supernatural power of evil that would try to against, come against your life, Jesus has triumphed over them personally. Then he took them captive. And Paul writes here in Colossians, he made a public example of them. He triumphed over them and he disarmed them. So what power does Satan have today? Nothing. He's a seed merchant. He's a seed merchant. He has no power to actually kill you, destroy you, ruin your life, keep you from God's blessing. He has no power to actually do that. He's a seed merchant who suggests thoughts that if you and I take those thoughts and sow them to our mind and believe his lies, well, then he has us right where he wants us in the Yatsahara. All right. Listen to this one. This should be the icing on the cake. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Let's read it aloud. Everybody together, ready, read. For this purpose, the Son of God. Verse 8. Okay, just it's part B. The reason the Son of God was made manifest was to undo, destroy, loosen, dissolve the works of the devil. Wow. Wow. <laughs> 
I don't know about you, but if you, if you love the Lord's Prayer, if, if you recite it, I do, but you have found this rendering lead us not into temptation to be a bit troubling, well, then I invite you to consider taking advantage of this discovery from the Dead Sea Scrolls and consider using this alternate rendering which says, don't allow me to enter wrong thinking or testing. Use that. In a very poetic way, Jesus taught us to pray using a Semitic idiom that is saying this, quote, protect us from ourselves and the enemy who would lead us into wrong thinking or wrong testing. Protect me from myself? Oh, dear ones, that's where it starts. The devil is not all that. My mind, the fire of thoughts gone astray, run amok. Even if you're having problems buying into all this language and Hebrew and Aramaic and Oh, that's fine for you, Pastor. You study this during the week. And how am I going to remember this? All I have is this. I just sit down and I read this. I need to just understand this. All right, well, even if you're having problem with all the language stuff, and some people actually still need some of the old-fashioned performance stuff, you know, in their life. God is sovereign. I need a certain amount of performance to feel like I'm... <laughs> <laughs> okay, well then, the message translation will maybe get us halfway, okay? We'll go halfway with you on this. Here's the message translation of our text. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes.